Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Tuesday morning. It's July 19th. Well, it might be Tuesday afternoon. It might be Tuesday evening. Hell, it might be Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday when you catch this. It's Jesperson here with Hicks. John, as we say, Real Talk is available live or later, setting us apart from other daily digital Canadian talk shows. Yes. You like that little the little reel right there? <laughs> you have been sleeping, uh, I believe, lot. over the past three days. Not a lot, uh, as John prepares, as we all prepare for the launch of Seriously, our new show, Tomorrow, Episode 1. You'll be able to catch it by subscribing anywhere you get your podcast. Just look for Seriously, Supriya, and Ryan. Mm-hmm. But... Seriously, John, mm-hmm. last night we were messaging about a couple of things related to the business, and you divulged to me, it was about 1045, 11 o'clock at night, you divulged you were still here in the studio, burning the candle at both ends, unbelievable. I'm freaking out, too. Piece of equipment went down. Yeah. Got to go pick up a new one today. You know. Problem solving, uh, just making Thank it happen. Sure. And I wanted to recognize you <laughs> off the top for your efforts. We're lucky to have you, pal. We've got a great show in store coming up uh, in just a few minutes. We're going to check in with uh, uh, I, I, oh, so for the next number of days. We've been letting you know this papal visit is coming, right? Depending on, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in Canada. If you're a regular that catches this show or if you're just paying attention to the news cycle, you know that the Pope is set to visit Canada, in particular uh, Treaty 6, where he will uh, visit uh, some communities and meet with uh, survivors of residential schools, including intergenerational survivors, and ultimately offer an apology for the Catholic Church's role in Canada's legacy of residential schools. I don't use the word legacy in a flattering sense. Well, several Indigenous leaders have been a big part of making this visit happen, and that includes Chief Tony Alexis, who's going to join us in just a few moments, uh, was elected Chief of Alexis Nakota Sioux Nation almost 10 years ago. At the young age of 42, he's serving his fourth consecutive term as chief. He first met the Pope in 2016, about six years ago, and presented letters from community members, presented a drum. He'll tell us all about it. And I'm looking forward to his thoughts on this. Coming up tomorrow, Grand Chief George Arcon Jr., journalist Brandy Morin, is covering this visit. She's going to be joining us as well. We want to make sure we get as many angles as we can on this. And, of course, we continue to work on a Friday roundtable around that papal apology. I think it's going to be an important conversation. I know it's an important conversation, and it's going to be a good one. Uh, Kurt Phillips is also going to join us this morning. He's the founder. This was back in uh, uh, 12, 13 years ago of Anti-Racist Canada, the founder and former lead writer for them. And he now sits on the board of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. And he's been doing a lot of work. Uh, covering and I think bringing awareness to the story of Pat King, who is really the driving force behind this freedom convoy. You know that Pat King was granted bail yesterday. He's been in prison uh, since uh, actually they say jail. Did you know this in journalism school? If, if, if it's if it's under two years, you're supposed to say jail. Yeah. If it's over two years, you're supposed to say prison. He's been incarcerated. He's been in custody. He's not been convicted of anything yet, uh, but he's been in uh, behind bars since February, five months or so, and granted bail yesterday. It would appear, uh, and, I, and I only laugh, it's not funny. It's just like, can something be unbelievable and totally believable at the same time? It would appear that Mr. King may have been violating the terms 
of his release, the terms of his bail uh, within moments of being released. He's been, uh, you know, forbidden from using social media. There's certain people he cannot associate with unless it's through his lawyer for purposes of developing his defense. And as soon as he was released yesterday, they're all over social media. But I don't know if you saw the post, John. It's kind of comical. All these posters, like friends of his, associates of his posting and saying, now these photos are being posted without the knowledge or the direction of Mr. Pat King. So we're going to find out what Kurt Phillips is keeping an eye on there and uh, some of the storylines associated with that so-called freedom convoy. I also want to take a second to review our unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll from yesterday. And this was one that, that... came about uh, as a result of our conversations around COVID-19 in this the sixth or seventh wave. And, you know, we were curious to know whether or not you're still wearing a mask uh, out and about. And we, on an impromptu sense, which is typically how we do these, an unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll uh, through my account at Ryan Jesperson, we asked, are you still wearing a mask in public? Now, if you're listening to this live at 10.38 Eastern on Tuesday morning, 8.38 Mountain Time. You've still got about a half hour. If you're listening to it later, I would suspect that these results will likely hold true. Uh, they haven't fluctuated a ton, John, since we first posted it, but uh, about 3,700 votes on this one. Uh, we asked very simply, are you still wearing a mask in public? Mm-hmm. 42% of you said no. Uh, 31% of you said yes. And then here's the one. I mean, this is the big swing here. 27% of you said, well, it depends. And there were a bunch of comments there. We can get to a few here as an example. Like Derek, for example, says in enclosed areas, definitely. Mm-hmm. Right. Carlos says this pandemic is not over and the risk of long COVID adds with every reinfection. And this variant BA5 is a real bitch. Carlos says mask up is the easiest, most effective way to protect yourself and others. You know, Scott says he can't stop wearing his Aggie, who, uh, you know, takes in real talk. We've heard from Aggie several times. Uh, She's living over in Czech. She says, uh, I think it's Chechia. How am I supposed to say it now? Czechia? That used to be the Czech Republic. Now they're saying it differently. Aggie, I know, will send me an email and help me out on this one. Uh, She watches from Europe. We really appreciate it. She says masks aren't required anywhere. She says, I think we have a few respirator somewhere in the apartment but the cotton masks found the garbage bin a while back chris says that uh, he's wearing masks in indoor public spaces with a lot of people he says it's not even a covid thing i'd prefer not to even catch a cold or flu i can see that angle on it mm-hmm. you know i've been i've been thinking like flying in future on aircraft i kind of i kind of i kind of liked the feeling if you could breathe okay in it i'm definitely gonna do it it just feels like, I mean, yeah. once you've sort of uh, altered your mindset a little bit with COVID and you sort of, I, I don't know, it just did something to my thought process. Now I'm thinking when I fly, actually on the plane, all the time I'm probably going to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Once you've had it, you don't want it again, that's yeah. for sure. Plus, when I fall asleep on an aircraft, which I often do, I put my head back and I open Are my you mouth. Are the guy who snores on the Oh, my God. Well, I mean, allegedly. I'm throwing Fritos at your head. But I've got my I've got my head back and my mouth is just wide open catching flies so the mask can maybe preserve my dignity. I don't know. Frozen Diva says, uh, I'll wear a mask in indoor crowded spaces. If it's not crowded, maybe. And if it's outdoors, well, not unless it's crowded. That's probably a majority opinion. Nostra Feed Me Brains says, uh, I wear a mask all the damn time, have since the start. No COVID yet. Both our adult kids and their spouses have, uh, but the wife and I have been vigilant AF. 
vigilant as frick. I wish everybody had done the same. It says, I love the mask. It hides my stupid mouth. And with my job site voice loud and clear, people can still hear me. Rock on. I, I love do, it. I do throw my mask on to avoid people sometimes now. I know oh, sure. Say. Like if I'm going into a store, I see, oh, put on my mask. It's like wearing down. It, it's like wearing headphones without anything coming through the headphones. It's just a signal to yeah. everybody that you're not particularly interested in chatting with them at that moment. Okay. You know what I mean? There's Daryl. I owe him ten bucks. Yeah, mask up, <laughs> and then the mask and sunglasses. I was, you know, you, like back. If you think back a few months, like the, the, the not a few months, but like you know, mid COVID, mm. when it felt normal, you got to walk into the bank to do something, and you're walking into the bank with a big mask on. You got your sunglasses on as you're walking in. It's like yeah. you would have been. T- Tackled three years ago if you would have tried to pull this off. All right, we'll get serious on this papal visit in, in just a second. I want to remind you that we have the amazing support of the team at Kubi Energy. And right now, it's an important point to note that the Canadian government, the federal government, has made a $40,000 interest-free loan available to Canadians who are looking to upgrade to solar. Want to install energy-efficient measures in your home? You can learn more at kubienergy.ca. Just look for the blog link. That's right, a $40,000 interest-free loan. It's called the Canada Greener Homes Loan. Plus, you can check out the different install techniques that Kubi has. You can see how what a clean job they do. No surprise from their Tesla-certified installers. You can get your free solar quote today. They're operating in B.C., Alberta, and hack across the prairies through their two home offices in Kamloops and Edmonton. Again, kubienergy.ca. At Friesen Brothers, they know that great family time happens around great food. And they've been ensuring that local quality food is landing on Albertans' dinner tables for more than 65 years. In 16 different Alberta communities, Friesen Brothers has their real butchers with their Alberta beef, pork, chicken, turkey, the plant-based options that John tells us about. Of course, they've got the fresh Alberta produce always from as close as possible. And don't forget, the first of every month, 15% off purchases of $75 or more at Friesen Brothers. And if you're an engineer that's looking for a, a change of pace, maybe a new opportunity, Hey, let's be honest. Sometimes you just don't feel appreciated where you're working. Apex Automation could be your next career move. At Apex, they're providing intuitive, fully autonomous solutions to industry. They're giving people back their time. You can achieve great things and reach your full career potential, enjoying flexible hours, professional development opportunities, and a hilarious company culture. The Christmas party is one of the best I've ever seen. Honestly, I can't wait to host it this December. You can find out more engineers across Canada at apexautomation.ca. Can't wait for our Christmas party. Oh, buddy. The Real Talk Christmas party is going to go. We're still waiting to do the Real Talk tailgate party. We've been promising audience members that for a long time. And we're starting to get to the point where you can pull those things off. The big groups. Yeah. It's going to be a good one. I don't want to share details yet because <laughs> then you're on the record. All right. The Pope's on his way to Canada. And, of course, all eyes will be on this pilgrimage to Lac St. Anne. People are going to be paying close attention to what he offers you know, by way of an apology to survivors of residential schools that were overseen, many of them in Canada, by the Catholic Church. Chief Tony Alexis met the Pope back in 2016 and invited him to Lac St. Anne, delivering letters on behalf of his community. He gifted him a hand-painted drum, in fact. 
Uh, Chief Tony first elected into council at just 25 years of age, elected chief in 2013. He's currently serving his fourth consecutive term. His aspirations include protecting the Alexis Nakota Sioux Nation's inherent and treaty rights, maintaining his community's culture, language, history, and customs, and working with elders and staff to revive tribal laws, build businesses, and advance wellness. Chief Alexis, welcome to Real Talk, and thank you so much for making time for us this morning. Thank you, Ryan. How did that visit to the Vatican play out in 2016? How did it come about, and what do you remember about your interaction with the Pope? <clears throat> well, it's a it's a long it's a long story, but uh, you know, just cutting through the highlights of it, there was a, an intent that happened from uh, my community. They, you know, there's this um, this uh, event that happens, is opening the holy doors, and in that time, uh, people uh, bring their prayers through the doors of the of the uh, the Vatican, uh, the um, the uh, Saint Peter's Church. Anyway, so that that was uh, an intent, and my community members asked me to bring prayers uh, for them on their behalf. And before we went that way, we we sent an invite, an opportunity to meet with the Pope, and and uh, we received uh, a welcome that we can have an opportunity to meet with him. So we were on our way there, and um, you know, you know, it was a good visit. We had about five minutes with. Uh, Pope Francis. Mm. Well, the the visit obviously resonated with him, and and obviously now we fast forward six years, and, and your community is is preparing to to welcome him as as part of a pilgrimage. Uh, it's been interesting to see commentary online, and I'm trying to sort of uh, reserve the space with that commentary for the people whose voices matter most here. And that's the survivors, including the intergenerational survivors of of residential schools. But but how would you say your community is feeling? about this impending visit well there's there's a few uh perspectives for one there's the people who are who are very happy with catholic faith and they practice that they've been holding that for a long time in spite of you know the challenges of you know how people are are criticizing the the catholic uh the church and and so on and so for them it's a really good celebration and it's an acknowledgement and then there's some who are you know still in that that place of trauma trying to recover from from the harm and the hurt that has happened to them so there's an opportunity for them to to for the validation of the apology that now we start to heal and then there's the group who are who practice our customs our traditions our ancient ways they've never lost that as a matter of fact we've carried that for generations for thousands of years and so they're in a place like that where it feels like it may impact them but they know today that you know nothing will ever change their culture and their heritage, the way it has been in the past, they're going to continue to do that. But as you know, in the past, there was uh, laws that were forbidden for our people to practice that. But in general, when you look at what is happening here, there's a real opportunity. The leader of the church is coming here, visiting with leaders of First Nation communities. And now, you know, as they sit together and they, they look at this uh, opportunity for reconciliation, creating this bridge of reconciliation, there's hope that healing will happen, not only on the First Nation side, but as well as on the church side. There's much work for them to do as well as us. And this is a real opportunity for us to take that step forward. It's a good start. Hmm. Uh, Chief Alexis, many people uh, know the territory uh, as Lac St. Anne. Uh, your community calls the lake Wakamne. Is that right? Uh, well, correct. 
Wakumni. Wakumni. Uh, can you tell us what it means and, and what the significance is referred to by many people as a, a very sacred lake? Can you talk to us about the significance of the lake to the community? So uh, just a long a while ago, you know, our people were, were traveling, as you know, uh, you know, we travel with the medicines, with the game and so on. That's the livelihood that we had. And so from contact, we start to, you know, the chief of the day, that time he seen his vision that he would be a place where our people would settle. And he traveled to different uh, areas throughout, uh, you know, throughout uh, central uh, Canada. And at that time, every every time he approached a lake, he knew that wasn't the one. But when he came to Lac Sinan, to that, to that site, there was some songs that were sung by our, our people. You could hear it over in the treetops. And, you know, uh, after, after some time, it was, you know, the grandchild that was telling the story of him and his grandfather going onto the lake. And they went onto the lake and they created a raft and they went onto the lake. And right in the middle of the lake, there was this uh, island. And that's where they could hear this drumming. And as they approached it, they seen, you know, that there was children standing on the perimeter of that island. In the middle was this beautiful woman with a, with a full buckskin and there was a hair. Her hair was down, like eagle feathers tied to her hair. And uh, the drumming went and it stopped in one beat. As it stopped, the story is that they, it's like all the children went into her hand. And then, in the, and then that was the last they've seen of it. And the prophecy is that if you come by the lake again, you'll hear, you'll start to hear the drumming. And so the way, it's not the way I'm telling the story, but the story is that the prophecy is that as you hear the drums again, you come to our community, you see our children, babies, before they can walk or talk, they're hitting the drum and they're trying to mock singing and they're enjoying that, that spirit in that way. So we see that livelihood and Wakamne, that's what it was called. So Wakan is the word that we use for holy or God, and ne is the word we use for, you know, a lake. So Wakamne means God's lake or holy lake. So that's how it was always identified. And it's been a gathering place long before the uh, the missionaries got there as well. Mm. People can check out laxanandpilgrimage.ca to, to learn more about this. It's uh, described, and you can see it right across the front of the website, as a year of reconciliation. And, and the website, by the way, indicates, I mean, just some logistics for people that are visiting, talking about camping and parking. And you get the sense that this is a pretty huge deal for a lot of people. Do you feel like it's important, almost integral, to receive this apology in your traditional territory? Yeah, we're, we're pretty happy. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of communities across the land who want to receive it in their territory as well. And so we are reaching out to invite them here and to be a part of it. We understand that, you know, Pope Francis cannot be at all those places. And as you mentioned, I met Pope Francis. And when I had the opportunity to visit with him, I, you know, I, I, I feel in, that his heart's in the right place and that uh, the people behind him, the ones who, who help him, they too need to catch up and they need to participate in that same way. So this apology, it's, it's a good start and uh, for communities across the land. And it's like a vehicle, you know, someone hits your vehicle, you know, uh, if I ran into your vehicle and, and I just walked away with a handshake or a, a hand gesture saying, thank you, uh, I'm sorry. And I drove away a year later, I might drive by you and your vehicle, the fender's probably hanging. It's probably all rusted out and you're still not happy. Right. So reconciliation also means the action afterwards. And it means that, you know, I should be helping fix your vehicle. 
we should work together on that, whatever that common thread is going to be to, to look after that and to heal that in a proper way. So when, when we look at this reconciliation, this is the good start. And to, and to validate it allows people, just like you know anywhere, allows people to start that healing, to say that it wasn't just an imaginary thing that happened. Mm. This really happened. Yeah, you know, this is... Uh... <laughs> You just said that this isn't an imaginary thing that happened, and it and it's like it's it's uh, embarrassing and appalling, uh, quite frankly, Chief Alexis, for for many non-indigenous people in Canada, for non-indigenous Canadians to acknowledge that, despite the testimony, which which would have been uh, emotionally uh, extremely taxing for many survivors of residential schools, despite their participation in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, despite the fact that many survivors have been telling their stories for decades, it seems as though the story of residential schools, or at least the reality of residential schools, really wasn't on the radar of most Canadians. The stories were being told. People really didn't realize, I don't think, uh, what had been going on there. Do you get the sense that the nation has, has awakened to a certain degree? When we talk about reconciliation, there's the relationship between the church and indigenous peoples. What about the rest of the population? Uh, do, do you get a sense that something positive is happening there? Do you see movement there? So if you look 40 years ago, where we're at um, 30 years, 10, even five years ago, there's there's been some improvements. The trajectories on a on a slow uh, climb to start for more people to to be aware. And if you remember a year ago, the two, 215 uh, sites that were found in Kamloops, you know, uh, uh, those those uh, burial sites that were found in Kamloops, it, it awakened the people across the land. And only then we start to see the non-Indigenous community take note and pay attention. So as we're taking these steps forward and we're growing in this way, this is a part of the real history that happened on this land, across this land. That also has to be included in in our, our academic institutions and for people to share that, to know that. You know, when we're when we're kids, we don't recognize race. We get to sit with whoever, and when we go to school or you know we play sports, we don't recognize race, and we have real good conversations. But I know some of our kids when when there was a, you know, these stories of residential schools that were told, they the other children couldn't believe that happened to them. It's like it personally happened to them, to that child that was sitting in front of them, which it wasn't. But that's the generational trauma that gets passed on from one generation to another. So going back to your car, if if your children, you know, talk to my children, they would tell the story that Chief Tony hit my car and, you know, they never reconciled with my dad. Now they're both gone. They'll carry that for a long time. So when you look at how our people were treated, you can't speak your language. As a matter of fact, you know, your language is not respected. You don't have a culture. You don't have an identity. What is revealing today is that we have a culture, we have an identity, we have our language. We are a people of this land, and we've been here for thousands of years, and we lived in a wealthy way in abundance here. But now, in this last little while, there's been some struggle. But in spite of all those storms, Ryan, you know, our people have grown. We're grown and becoming masters of the institutions. We have doctors, lawyers, engineers, accountants. People running business, we are maintaining our culture and language. We're in a really good place right now. And we welcome working with uh, partners, whether it's government, it's business, or 
you know, shows like yourself. We do our, we are doing what we can to bring the spirit of our people forward. Well, I sure appreciate your availability, uh, Chief. What, when, when we talk about this as a good first start, um, a good first step, really, in, in reconciliation between the church and indigenous peoples, what else needs to happen? What else is on your, your list of, of priorities? What do you think is most important? Well, like for me as a leader, I could say this is the path I want to go. And so it's my responsibility now to turn around and to talk to my people and tell them and share with them you know, that there's healing that has to happen. There's work that we need to do. And as, as we plan and work in that way, the church too has to do that. The church too has to do that. The institutions need to do that as well. That this is a real history that happened. And we are continuing to, to work together and to enjoy the beauty and the riches of this land. So as we are doing that, let's walk together in a respectful way. Hmm. So with regards to logistics, how are you preparing for this? This is this is a heck of a thing to welcome the Pope. People are taking a look at the price tags. People are taking a look at, at the security costs. I've seen some people taking issue with the fact that, you know, as they put it, Canadian taxpayers are footing a large part of this bill, which is controversial to some. It makes sense to others. I'm not sure if you want to comment on that or not, but this is a big deal preparing for a visit like this, to say the least. There's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of wheels moving and there's yeah. a lot of people planning. There's people from the Vatican. There's people from the from the country here. People on the ground. So there's a lot of wheels moving. And and of course, you know, the Pope is probably one of the most uh, famous people in this entire world. Mm -hmm. And to host them and to to look after them, it's a it's a good honor, just like anything else, you know. And and we look at things in in smaller scales or bigger scales, whatever it might be. But it's an opportunity for Canada to be a good host to anyone, and that's one of the the gifts that we have as Canadians, as well as as First Nation people, is, is to always be a good host. You know, in our culture, they say that somebody knocks on your door, you will go to open that door with the intention that the Creator sent that person to your place. And so you're always open in that way. And, you know, we're all like that as human people that, you know, we don't just rip the door open and say, you know, welcome in, have my house. We don't do that. We're, we're a good host. And we see that it's a good visit. Then we can build our, our stronger relationship. But the logistics that are happening on a community, like there's a lot of people who, who are traveling from across the nation, from across the land, as well as other countries, just to be here, to be a part of this, uh, this historic event. Yeah. Uh, anything that I haven't asked you about, uh, Chief Alexis, that you want to make sure people are paying attention to? Uh, anything that a detail we haven't covered that you think is an important element to this story? I, I think, you know, what, what this reveals for, for me is, as I observe, you know, I've been a chief now going on 10 years. And what I observe is that the growth that is happening, we just need to continue building on that. You know, for all of us, it doesn't matter who it is, myself, yourself, we can always take a step back and to view what the history, what has been written, what has been told, and to be open to welcome that. And as we welcome it, we'll share that with the next generation coming. And let's make the next 100 years a positive one, one that we can grow together. Beautifully said. That's Chief Tony Alexis, Chief of Alexis Nakota Sioux Nation. His community will welcome the Pope in just a few days, uh, who will offer an apology in uh, obviously a very sacred territory. Thank you for doing the show. It's nice to see you again. Thank you, Ryan. Have a good day. Yeah, you as well.
You can let us know where you're at on this. I know that there are uh, many audience members, uh, Real Talk audience members, for whom this is deeply personal. And we welcome your comments, your thoughts. We'd like to integrate those into our next number of shows as uh, Canada prepares to to welcome the Pope. Obviously, not everybody welcoming the Pope with open arms. Uh, For some, uh, this is about as big of a deal as it gets. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, for 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 ardent, dedicated people of a strong Catholic faith, uh, you know, I mean, it's I, I understand exactly what Chief Alexis is talking about. He says he's one of the most famous people in the world. I think the word yeah. famous, people look at it famous and they kind of wrinkle their nose a little bit because it comes with that sort of we look at it as like pithy sort of celebrity culture. But what he's saying is when it comes to who's the most well-known person on the planet or, or you know, who with regards to, to recognition or power of influence globally. Yeah. globally. Yeah. Who's more famous than the Pope? Everybody knows who the Pope is. Right? Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Actually, like, actually, who's more well-known on planet Earth than the Pope? Mm-hmm. And you see everyone online. Everyone's pretty divisive right now, right? Like, one side or the other. I don't want the Pope to come. The Pope needs to come. I really liked how Chief uh, said, like, uh, you know, explaining uh, with the car analogy yeah like how we need to repair and stuff like that and i also got the feeling that like it's not up to a lot of those people who are like arguing about it whether he should come here or not it's really not their space to be saying any of that right including myself what i know i've been saying some stuff about you know how the roads are getting paved and all that stuff but it's really not up to me this is between the catholic church and the indigenous people of canada right yeah well i think both are true like I think I think you're right to to observe and and recognize that the most important voices in all of this are the survivors' mm-hmm. voices, like that, like period, and then you know intergenerational survivors, like those that have come, the the lineage of those that managed to survive these. It doesn't even feel to call them residential schools. Why do we even call them schools? They I mean, were not. They were <laughs> called schools, but they weren't. I mean, like the, yeah. probably the nicest thing you could call them was institutions. But the fact that you have to refer to people that got out of there as survivors says something. But you're right. The survivor's voice matters most, period. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, people are going to have their own opinions on what reconciliation needs to look like in their own orbit. Yeah. Um, like you I'm know, just, what people believe to be important yeah. or acceptable. And then I think with a lot of people, when they start seeing government act on something, when, when the politics becomes infused or the logistics or people take a look at the price tags. Well, with everything going on with the Catholic Church in the last, like, 10, 15 years, it's like... Well, 150 or thousands of for, years, actually. You know, but, yeah. so, like, anytime I see anything to do with the Catholic Church, you know, I kind of raise my eyebrows, like, what's going on here? But I, I just think it's kind of, it's not up to me, right? This I'm kind of sitting back and... yeah. I think the, I think most of us should do that. Yeah, both of us non-indigenous. Let's acknowledge that. Yeah. So we're we're we, shooting the shit we here. We don't have a to, say here. Talking about our opinions on this, but but those that matter most are the ones that. I mean, this is why we're uh, obviously bringing in voices that matter this week to to offer their perspectives. As mentioned, uh, the Confederacy of Treaty Six First Nations Grand Chief George Arcan Jr. will be joining us tomorrow, as will journalist Brandy Morin, who's uh, I mean just a remarkable friend of this show and an amazing storyteller. Brandy was in. You remember Brandy? Andy joined us on April 7th. If you want to look back at that episode of the show, 
She had just returned from the Vatican. She was there yeah. reporting on the apology that the Pope offered at the Vatican. And there mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, Chief Wilt, Little Child, many other delegates and representatives, survivors that had that had made the trip to the Vatican and to Italy to, to, to hear that apology. So we want to get those perspectives. And of course, as mentioned, we want to hear from you. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can be in touch with the show. We're going to turn the page in just a few moments and we'll take a look at one of the stories that's uh, one of the other stories that's making news nationally. And that is uh, Pat King uh, granted bail yesterday. Um, Yeah, this is where you can have a stronger opinion, John. You can feel more comfortable having (laughs) a strong opinion on this one. Uh, The organizer, uh, one of the organizers, one of the key organizers of that so-called freedom convoy. And Kurt Phillips is going to join us to talk about it. Kurt, the founder of Anti-Racist Canada. We're looking forward to that conversation coming up in less than two minutes. Right now, I want to remind you that our friends at Eden Landscaping, right now, this is their busiest time of year, and their crews are out uh, across the metro Edmonton region, central and northern Alberta, bringing outdoor spaces to life, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience, and they take you from the first step all the way through. You're not hiring a landscape architect and then... then talking to a contractor and then you got to figure out well who's in charge of excavating and when are the crews going to be here dropping off the cedar mulch and oh my gosh what a headache Uh uh-uh Mike and his team want you to have the peace of mind knowing that your dream space will be a reality and they will not leave until that is the case. Full project management, excavation, stone and woodwork, retaining walls, water features, outdoor kitchens, lighting, irrigation, drainage, planting, removal, and more. You can find Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. For those of you that are in touch with the show by way of Twitter, of course, you're using our hashtag RealTalkRJ. You can hit us up on Instagram. And by the way, we're on TikTok now, too. RealTalkRJ, our handle on all three accounts. Powering that hashtag is the team at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. They want us to remind you because they care about your bottom line. They don't want you getting scammed right now. If you go to their homepage and then scroll down, you'll find a blog entry about this new Government of Alberta electricity rebate program. They're sounding the alarm at Park Power because there's a few scams that are happening. All right, people are being duped. Park Power doesn't want that to happen to you. You can find the details at parkpower.ca. When you take your business to Park Power, electricity, internet, and natural gas, the promo code 2022-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill. How great is that? Well, in just a second, we'll talk to Kurt Phillips. Uh, We're going to get the details and his perspective. That's what I'm most interested on Pat King after five months behind bars, not yet convicted. He was released uh, on bail conditions. People are wondering whether or not he's going to be able to keep those. I want to set the table for you, though. Real talk is I don't want to take anything for granted. I don't want to assume you know who we're talking about. So this is taken from Twitter. This is uh, a compilation of clips. These are videos Mr. King has released himself. Here he is on a number of different occasions in his own words. Trudeau, someone's going to make you catch a bullet one day to the rest of this government. Someone's going to fucking do you in. You sons of bitches. The only way that, and I'm going to say it out loud, the only way that this is going to be solved is with bullets. And yeah, I said it. That's the only way something's going to happen. A massive revolution on an, a, a, a huge scale. You might want to change your uh, your name to Ishmael or 
drop a bunch of change down the stairs and call yourself Chong Ching Ching Chang? <laughs> now you want to say, oh, the Indians culture and everything. The natives culture is a disgrace. It is 100%. Every person who was born here in Canada, in North America, you are indigenous. People don't realize that. If you were born of the land, you are indigenous of the land. It's called depopulation of the Caucasian race or the Anglo-Saxon. And that's what the goal is, is to depopulate the Anglo-Saxon race because they are the ones with the strongest bloodlines. They are the ones with the strongest bloodlines. They are the ones with the strongest bloodlines. We got an idea who we're talking about here. Let's get to one of the experts on this. Kurt Phillips is the founder of Anti-Racist Canada. He's a board member of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. He's also been a teacher for the past 20 years, and we're grateful for his availability on Real Talk this morning. Kurt, thanks for joining us. We understand you're on vacation, so it means even that much more. Thanks for making some time for us this morning. Did that video montage uh, from Bianca the Brave on Twitter paint a pretty clear picture as far as you're concerned about who we're talking about here, Pat King? In general, um, Pat has a pretty long history uh, of of this kind of, um, I guess if you want to call it activism, uh, we'll refer to it as that. Um, not included in that is in a, another video clip where he um, talks about an anti-racist rally that was going to be held in in uh, Red Deer, and he was um, hold held up a video of a of a large man uh, assaulting a, a smaller individual, uh, saying that he would be that guy in the white shirt doing that to them. Uh, ultimately, that led to an assault, not by himself, but by another individual. Um, who was attending that rally as well. Um, you know, he he has a, a quality about him that is able to, uh, I guess you could say, encourage um, people of like mind to, to follow him, I suppose. This is probably going to be a bit of a wake-up call for some folks that have long insisted that the Freedom Convoy is being painted unfairly, that the Canadians are, are unfairly smearing the movement with terms like racist. Uh, to me, I mean, how close or how key is this guy's involvement in that freedom convoy? Like, paint a perspective, paint a picture for us of, of how central of a figure he is and what went down in Ottawa. Sure. Uh, first, I will put the caveat that I, I think there are probably a lot of people who attended the 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 convoy who, you know, we could argue, uh, I think, rightfully about uh, the, their rationale. Uh, but they didn't go necessarily because of uh, bigoted views or, or, or as such. Um, however, a lot of the individuals that we kept track of and we kept tabs on were members of these kind of groups or did uh, try to motivate people from that kind of perspective. Um, so the, 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 the individuals who we kind of kept track of were um, uh, kind of leadership and Pat specifically. Um, I think in his case, uh, I, we see that people like Barber and 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 uh, Tamara Lich are now kind of you know disavowing his his, his involvement, uh, but initially he was very very much an active uh, leader in this kind of movement. Essentially, this this effort, um, he interviewed uh, Tamara Lich on his own uh, stream on on, on Facebook. Um, uh, he was in touch with them. He had some experience with a a convoy. Uh, a number of years ago, I think it was 2019, if I remember correctly, uh, Convoy to Ottawa, ostensibly 
in favor of oil revenue and, and the oil pipelines um, to support oil, Alberta oil specifically. Um, but he was also, uh, you know, you saw, show, showed some of those clips and some of those clips were taken at around that time. Um, so he was a very problematic figure uh, even then. Uh, I think as more information came out about Pat, uh, I think a lot of those individuals, uh, Lich, uh, Barber, uh, began to feel uncomfortable with his his participation and uh, tried maybe to freeze him out a little bit. But by that point, uh, the genie was out of the bottle, essentially. he uh, Pat has this kind of aw shucks, teddy bearish quality about him that kind of draws people to him. Um, he He's quite charismatic and people have commented about his uh, you know uh, other qualities. Uh, but if, if he has one quality that does really endear himself to people is this ability to kind of draw people in. And um, regardless of whether or not the, the convoy uh, leaders like Lich Barber, um, uh, the others, uh, you know, saw him as a leader, uh, certainly people on the street uh, in Ottawa did see him as a leader. They were, they were giving high fives. They were, they were lauding him. He was, he was a speaker at, at a number of events. Uh, there was one video I just watched this morning uh, from his, uh, from his, uh, uh, Facebook, no, sorry, not his Facebook, his Instagram channel, which is still up, uh, where they, somebody said, oh my goodness, I touched his shirt or touched his shirt. Um, well, like he's the Messiah really, or something? Yeah, yeah, it was very, very odd. I mean, uh, and as somebody who's kind of you know, has, has watched this individual over the years, it was it was very surreal to see him treated in such a manner. Uh, he was like a conquering hero, essentially. So, Kurt, this is uh, and, and by the way, I want to read this comment from Kathy because she's absolutely right. She's watching us live on YouTube right now. She says, yeah, this guy has a scary amount of supporters. Right? She says it hurts my heart. Uh, I think it's important not to underestimate the influence that he has. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially during the convoy itself and leading up to it, uh, he was getting more and more support. I think at one point his his uh, Facebook page uh, had something like 300,000 followers. Uh, this is an individual who during the summer, um, and, and, and I, I made a few threads about it on Twitter, uh, that he, you know, he, he basically uh, didn't understand a legal uh, document that he received. Uh, he was convinced that he had proven that COVID doesn't exist. The courts said had, had agreed with them or so, uh, so he thought. And that event, that essentially had to be debunked by, I think, Reuters. Uh, the, 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 it, was, it was making play in, in, in Australia. I mean, you know, this kind of disinformation spreads really, really quickly, especially when confirmation bias. It's, it's the you want to believe yeah. uh, what you already believe. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the smart communicators. And I mean, I, I, you know, let me say effective communicators can leverage criticism against them as proof I mean, you know, I'm using my finger quotes as proof that what they're talking about is fact, right? In other words, look at this. They're the mainstream media trying to stifle my mess. We're seeing it from Theron Fleury all the time now, the former NHLer, right? Like, look at what the media is trying to shut down. Look at these social media platforms canceling these accounts. That are, it just goes to show, you know, this is part of a big concerted or organized effort to shut down this message, and people are lapping it up. I mean, 300,000 followers on Facebook. Kurt, what does that tell you about Canadians? What does that tell you about where the country's at? Well, I, I, I one of the things I've talked to people about is how uh, the COVID uh, epidemic, the the pandemic, has been one of the most effective radicalization, uh, you know, 
well, most effective methods of radicalization I've seen in my lifetime. And in some ways it makes sense. People, especially initially, were at home. Um, we, we talk about lockdowns. We were never really truly locked down, not in the way that other places were. We weren't, we weren't uh, uh, you know, cemented into our buildings as, as they were in other, other countries, such as China, for example. Um, but people are at home there. They, they, they don't have their sports. They don't have things that they're doing with their friends. Um, they, they spend a lot of time online on, on social media and they look up information and, you know, they might potentially be disinclined to believe the science potentially, but they might not be in that kind of extremist perspective yet. Uh, but they read things that confirm their bias. They read more that confirm their bias. And of course the algorithms continue to push that information at them. Um, to the point where that becomes their world. And then they exclude those people who contradict them. They disagree with them. They freeze those individuals out and only, you know, their, their friend base remains those people who agree with them. So uh, when you hear individuals say that they, and, and I think most people are really confused by this. They, 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 they see uh, people who support the convoy. People were there. People genuinely believe that the majority of Canadians are with them, that agree with them, that a, a tiny percentage are in favor of, of the vaccines and, and that most people are in favor of them. So they, they really do genuinely view themselves as heroes. Um, and that's because they've, they've excluded all alternative viewpoints that, that, that don't confirm their bias. Um, and I've seen this not just in the case of COVID, but, you know, a number of years ago, uh, I think it was 2019, um, People were convinced in that election that the liberal government was going to not just be defeated, they were going to be crushed, they were going to lose uh, official party status, uh, primarily because they only knew people who really disliked the liberals and were really shocked when when it didn't happen to the point that um, after the 2020 election in the United States uh, and Donald Trump calling uh, his loss as a result of election fraud, uh, they started pushing that narrative as well. Uh, it must have been Dominion voting machines, even though Canadians don't use voting machines in federal elections. Kurt, this, you, as mentioned in your introduction, when you founded, this, this was like about 10, uh, 12 years ago, right? So 2010, approximately, when you founded Anti-Racist Canada. I'm trying to think back just even to my own involvement with social media. I remember I signed up for Twitter just before the Vancouver Olympic Games, so 2010. And I feel like I was ahead of most of my friends on that. I think some people were on Facebook in like 2007, 2008-ish approximately. So social media was still kind of in its infancy uh, back then. With regards to the monitoring that you've done, the spread of, of misinformation, the, the, the spread of hate speech or hateful content, uh, communities rallying together, people finding one another with common beliefs. I mean, the exact sort of thing that we're talking about here, the exact sort of a, of a fire that a guy like like Pat King stokes. Uh, have you? There's obviously been a, a rise in uh, what people have seen, and there's it's been easier probably for people to connect and spread messages, to find their platforms, so to speak, to build their platforms with social media. But do you think that the sentiments have changed or are we just seeing it more often now? Like, do you think that there's a rise in hateful or troubling attitudes in Canada or do you think we're just seeing it more now? Uh, it's a kind of a column A, column B thing here. I think that um, the rise of populist politics has allowed people to uh, say things that they may have always believed but was considered to be socially unacceptable. But then you have uh, kind of charismatic politicians who... Uh, who who say those things and, and encourage it and 
and becomes, you know, it doesn't become taboo anymore. So uh, it happens not just, you know, I think many people focus on the United States or the rise of Donald Trump, but we could also see it here in Canada. We could see it in, in Europe, uh, Central South America. There's a number of places where this is occurring. Uh, but the other issue, of course, is that that I think there are some people who have genuinely been radicalized, people who, you think back to your own families. I mean, you've got family members probably you know listeners have family members who have kind of fallen into this 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 rabbit hole who you would never would have expected to um and that's probably in large part because i mean i i always wonder what would happen had the the nazi regime had had something like facebook had something like the social media that we have now how effective hmm. they would that as a propaganda technique would be and in this case i mean facebook isn't overtly pushing this to people um necessarily it's 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 doing so because the algorithms say this is what people want so we're going to push that to them specifically as they want that i mean my facebook site uh, page doesn't push that stuff to me because i i don't read it i don't follow it uh but those who do it does because i mean it's it's in the business of making money this is uh i mean you you talked about listeners you said people probably know those that have been radicalized people have family members hope is watching us she says my nephew is just lost to this to this vile inhumane movement she says it all started with covid now he seems like a different person and his sisters want nothing to do with him and it's tragic right i mean i like you know we've we've spoken to people on this show before that have that same story i remember talking to a woman who's her name escapes me right now but her brother had been radicalized and like to lose a loved one like that and people you people phrase it like that like we've lost them to this um, it's a tough one for sure. Kurt, with regards to Pat King himself, let's bring the story back to the jumping off point. So he's granted bail yesterday. There are conditions to his release, obviously, and there are, there are questions with regards to whether or not he's already violated those terms. I don't think you and I need to get into that. We're not legal experts, but he had 24 hours to vacate Ottawa. He's already done that. Uh, he's got to reside with a surety until he can take a flight to Edmonton. He's going to be here. He's got to reside with a surety in Alberta. He's got to be in employment there. He's going to have no contact with many of the people that you've mentioned, Chris Barber, Tamara Litch, Daniel Bulford, and other organizers. No protesting, no public assembly, no social media in any form, or having others post on his behalf. Uh, Johnny, do you mind pulling up that post from yesterday? This was one that kind of caught my eye. I just think this is relevant. I think the audience will be interested to see this. Uh, this from the account live from the shed. As you can see, they say Pat King and his favorite pastor no longer separated by a foot of glass. Share a laugh as he leaves the courthouse to enjoy time with his friends. Note, photos provided by Melissa McKee were posted without the direction or involvement of Pat King in any way. It almost feels like they're speaking directly to the judge there. He's not allowed to give interviews, including social media, so he couldn't talk to reporters yesterday. $25,000 cash bond, no weapons or ammunition, abide by a curfew, all that kind of standard stuff. This following five months behind bars without a conviction. And a lot of people, even people that have been very critical of Mr. King, have said they have a hard time supporting someone incarcerated in Canada for five months without being convicted. Now, I know there's a ton of stories, a ton of instances of that happening to people, but where do you land on that? Well, my personal view, and I think uh, a number of people uh, on my side of the fence uh, you know, can, they, you know, we don't like the idea of people being incarcerated for lengthy periods of time, particularly if, if it's for, for nonviolent offenses. Um, so we were certainly not of the opinion that, that, uh, it necessarily well. I mean, I guess 
there's a publication ban. We don't know exactly what the charges are. Uh, I assume the initial initial charges were mischief. We heard something for perjury. There might be others. Uh, I don't know that. Um, but I, 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 I do generally believe that Per, the people, if bail can't be made, I, I, I think I prefer that too. And I know uh, with respect to Pat, he is somebody who is uh, missing a leg. Uh, I guess there were some claims and allegations that uh, um, the injury become exasperated. They, there's some infection perhaps. Uh, I, I would prefer that that uh, he, he remain healthy. Um, I do note one irony though, that uh, you know, in one of his last videos prior to his arrest, the, the night before, he was bragging about how he wasn't going to jail, that he had a team of lawyers ready to get him out within, within minutes of his release. He was very uh, confident about this. Um, and of course there were no team of lawyers and uh, I think of all the individuals who were caught up in this, uh, you know, if you want to refer to him as a leader, you certainly can, because I think that'd be accurate. Um, of all the people, he spent the longest time in, in jail. I, I, it's, it's absolutely accurate to refer to him as a leader. I, I, I was just going to ask you about the, the, the power of the storyline that is incarceration, right? Like I talked to Danielle Smith a few days ago on the show. She wants to be Alberta's premier. She might be Alberta's next premier. And she says one of her first orders of business will be to apologize to the pastors that were jailed in Alberta for refusing to adhere to public health orders. Well, look what happened the minute they were arrested. Look what happened the longer they stayed in jail. Bigger spotlights shone on their story. They became bigger heroes. Their fundraising went through the roof. They became martyrs. I mean, Pat King to the movement, you even hear what people are yelling at him from outside courtrooms through these proceedings over the past number of months. Thank you for your sacrifice, right? Thank you for what you're doing for the cause. I mean, uh, th this time in jail, you know, I mean, if it didn't already earn him a book deal, the, the convoy itself, I'm sure he'll have a book deal now. I don't know who wants to publish it, but the power of incarceration is strong. Right. I mean, can you see this actually emboldening his followers, his supporters? I mean, are you concerned maybe down the line? We don't know if he'll be convicted. We don't know what the future might look like. But but it's not like locking him up has squashed this movement one bit, has it? No. In fact, as you said, I mean, it has emboldened a number of them. Um, so certainly it has with Pat. Um, you mentioned the pastors. Uh, I think of Arter Pulowski as probably the the uh, the probably their typical character in this. I mean, this is a person who uh, gained fame in part because of his temper tantrum, throwing out an EHS worker, uh, coming to inspect his his church, um, the building he's renting. Um, it kind of went on from there to uh, his arrests. And he was very, uh, very performative. Like he, he dropped to his knees to make sure it was on, on video that he was on his knees and, and, um, uh, it's it's been very effective. He's raised an incredible amount of money. He's he did a speaking tour in the United States uh, that summer, uh, hosted by individuals individuals linked to the January sixth coup attempt in the United States. Uh, uh, he came back kind of parroting that too that that Trump was the uh, legitimate president. It was a fraudulent election. Um, so we've seen a lot from him. Uh, he went to Coots. He was the person who apparently convinced the people of Coots who had been planning on leaving. Uh, to stay, um, and he's being charged under the, you know, the, um, uh, I guess the uh, infrastructure uh, law that the uh, UCP government passed, which is ironic. I think they were probably thinking it would be used against environmentalists. They probably never thought it would be used against a uh, right-wing agitator.
Mm. I like this comment from Two Beaver, who's watching us live on YouTube this morning in the chat, says this whole thing speaks more to Canadian society than any one man. Would you agree? I think we have to be careful too. We have to realize that, I mean, the, the, we, we do focus on, on the fringe, although unfortunately this is a larger movement that we would like to think. Um, this, when the Ottawa convoy was started, I was genuinely surprised by the numbers of people who showed up. Uh, certainly nothing like the numbers they said would be there or claimed were there. Um, but I, my, 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 uh, frame of reference had been the 2019 convoy where uh, people were supporting oil industry and, 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 and very much tied to the yellow vest movement at the time. Right. Um, there were politicians who showed up at that. There that was, was the uh, United we roll, right, Kurt? Yes. Uh, of, of which Pat was one of the leaders in that, along with a guy named Jay Riddell from, from Saskatchewan. Um, so I was expecting maybe a little bit bigger. It was, this was something that affected more people. Uh, but I think there was something like at one point, the high point was between 15 and 20,000 people. Uh, they claimed at one point there were two and a half million people there supporting them. Uh, that was obviously not true and ridiculous. But uh, even then, there were still people who lined the streets, lined the highways, uh, you know, on overpasses, uh, celebrating as they passed. They might have been a minority, but they're, they're, they're significant uh portion of the population to the point where we can't just ignore it we have to deal with it and and the repercussions of that no you can't ignore it at all i remember i've told the story before on the show so i'll keep it short but i was in jasper uh with a friend vacationing the weekend before that freedom convoy started rolling through uh i remember i stopped for lunch in hinton and the bartender says to me you gonna hit the highway before this convoy starts he says you might want to he says this might take you hours we didn't know what to expect it wasn't on my radar. I mean, I knew that there were plans for some people to drive their trucks to Ottawa, but I, I underestimated it. And I'll be honest, Kurt, I will never forget that drive for people that don't know from Jasper, let's say from Hinton to Edmonton, about three hours. Uh, as soon as I started like hitting, you know, right around Rockford Bridge, started hitting like, you know, Stony Plain, Spruce Grove, all of these communities west of Edmonton, every single overpass was packed with people. I mean, I came back on that Monday show and and was trying to tell the story accurately. I mean, I was I had started to try to sort of keep a general count of how many people I saw, but I acknowledged it was in the hundreds. Uh, people were having bonfires in the highway ditches. People had their lawn chairs out. They had all the Canadian flags flying. Uh, I'll give a lot of folks there, to be honest, uh, the benefit of the doubt. Uh, especially, I think, in the prairie provinces, but across the country. I mean, if you if you oppose this prime minister, if you oppose the Liberal Party, if you oppose progressive politics, or for that matter, the carbon tax, or the United Nations, or many of the other things that we've seen themes develop around these truck convoys, these people came out to protest. And I won't pin a racist badge on every single person that showed up to those overpasses, because for starters, the Freedom Convoy was just getting started. And second of all, you never know what draws people out to show uh, protest and legal protest against a government or against a government action. But I'll tell you, that evening driving back home that was when i realized that this shouldn't be underestimated and it shouldn't simply be written off because for every person that actually drove their vehicle and sat in the cold that day waiting for those trucks to go through there were probably a hundred other people at home that supported the movement but just didn't want to get off their ass and it really knocked my socks off i'll be honest with you I know in my own experience, I had people who, uh, you know, were were supportive of it as well. One individual who uh, was very much a progressive, somebody on the political left, somebody who is not a fan of the conservative government here, somebody who is, um, you know, 
I was talking to her and I just brought up the the issue that I was kind of keeping tabs on and she referred to them all. Aren't those men heroes? Uh, it, it resulted in a really uncomfortable discussion. Uh, but this is an individual who uh, wasn't on the far right. She's certainly not a, a bigot. Uh, and yet because of the misinformation regarding COVID and vaccinations, um, she has gone down that rabbit hole to an extent as well. Hmm. This is a great comment from Jill. She says Canadians are shocked because many consider themselves non-racist, but hardly any Canadians are anti-racist. Jill says it's not enough to just look away from hate and racism. Can you talk to us about the intentional language there, uh, about your work with the Canadian Anti-Hate Network or how you founded Anti-Racist Canada? What does the word anti mean to you? It means actively opposing it. It means not turning away uncomfortably when somebody tells a racist joke saying, call them on it. I mean, not in a way that necessarily shames them, but I think that a lot of, of, of these kind of views are from people who are ignorant. I don't use that term pejoratively. I use that term. They, they're not aware. That's not an excuse. That's that's still something needs called out. Um, so call it out when you see it. Uh, don't stand for it. Uh, refuse to accept it as oh just that's just you know so and so being so and so take a stand and i think that if more people do that we'd be in a much better position kurt in the context of 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 pat king and his his bail his release on bail and the whole freedom convoy story a lot of people are paying attention to it right now i think it may have dropped off the radar a little bit flared up uh, right around July 1st, of course, there were there were rumors that there was going to be the big gathering again in Ottawa, and it felt like the nation's capital city was kind of bracing itself to a certain degree. But but as happens in the news cycle, it had, it had fallen off the front page, so to speak. Is, is there anything that you're keeping an eye on that I haven't asked you about that you want to make sure that real talkers are aware of before we thank you for your time? Sure. Uh, well, of course, we're, we're taking a look at the trial in Coots right now, seeing what uh, results from that. Uh, uh, we are looking at the rise of populist politics in Canada, like the connection that uh, even mainstream politicians are, are are connecting with some of these these uh, movements and and these beliefs. Um, I have I, I I generally am disinclined to believe that uh, uh, the leaders, uh, the people running for leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, who are supporting this, genuinely believe it. But they've seen the effective use of of populist politics in in not just the United States but around the world, and are are channeling that for their own political gain. So uh, the danger of the Overton window continuing to shift to the right uh, is something that I think we need to be concerned about and and continue to watch. Yeah, I mean, you know, to to sort of spell it out, we get we get emails like this all the time, and um, we got one just the other day from someone that said, "Please don't read this on the air," and it broke my heart because it was such a good sentiment. But they just said they said I'm envisioning a scenario where you know Danielle Smith, you talked about Archer Pavlovsky, this pastor, uh, obviously extremely controversial <laughs> uh, to say the least. You know, she's welcoming him on stage at a rally the other day. I talked to her about it. If people missed it, they can check out our interview. I asked her directly about him by name. Uh, but but she's she's comfortable sharing a stage with him. She could be the premier of Alberta. Pierre Poliev looks like he's going to run away with the conservative leadership. The Trudeau government, I think, is is tired and and languishing in the polls a little bit. And it's realistic that Pierre Poliev could be the next prime minister of Canada. And then Donald Trump is hinting that he'll be back in 2024. And there's no reason to believe that he couldn't run a strong campaign 
And this email that I won't read, but the theme of it was essentially that with Premier Danielle Smith, Prime Minister Pierre Polyev, and President Donald Trump uh, gives a lot of people a good reason, I think, to be concerned, if not for the attitudes of the politicians themselves, but just like what you're talking about, the strange bedfellows. Yeah, I think there's an attitude in Canada. We can be very smug about our, our position in the world that, you know, you know, we're not race. We look down to the United States and point fingers. And um, this has always been a part of Canadian uh, society as well. We've always had this as well. And I think it's it's dangerous to think it can't happen here. Yeah. Kurt, I know you're on vacation. We really appreciate that you set aside a portion of your morning to talk to us. Thanks for the great work that you're doing. People can follow you on social media at ARC Collective, right? A-R-C Collective? That's right, yes. Thank you, my man. Thank you. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can send your thoughts. It's always better when we can read your emails. I feel like I kind of, in a way, read that email without reading it. Cut to the chase. I don't think we need to read any emails about Pat King. We already know what they say. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Well, no, but they don't all say that. That's the point. No, that was the whole that, point though. of that interview. I'm saying that. Uh, that's why we wanted to, you know, I, I, I'll be honest. I kind of had mixed feelings about rolling that video that uh, Bianca the Brave had posted on Twitter, this montage of Pat King on the record. We went through it this morning like three times. Like, I know. Should we even play this? And I was like, should we beep some things out? Should we <laughs> cut some things out? And I thought, no, like. You know, number one, mainstream, you know, big corporate media can't play that video for you. And I think but I think it's important to know who we're dealing with here. But who thinks I think if you like start that, but if you, you start know? well, yeah, but I mean that's kind of the whole point of these conversations is a lot of people and think then like who that. Who gets behind someone like that and says people that are looking for a place to belong. <laughs> people that are looking people that are looking for somewhere to channel their anger and their angst, right? People that are people that are that are having a hard time and I'm not justifying it. No, like not at but all. We're not talking about someone with just different but this, opinions but this he's is clearly he's wrong about everything he says but obviously hundreds of thousands of people or at least tens of thousands or whatever lots of people mm-hmm. don't think that he is right they think that this guy's the brave one this is the guy that's fighting for freedom so to speak and it's just it's troubling and i and i think you know probably the biggest reason why we decided that we needed to play that video is because i think that if we dilute this and if we treat it like it's not an issue, and if mm-hmm. we treat it like, you know, if we just, if we bring you some benign comments he's made about like, you know, you know, uh, I don't know, you're talking about, you know, Trudeau's socks and hair, <laughs> people won't take it seriously. We haven't talked when about you start, Trudeau's socks once since I've been on the show. <laughs> when you start talking about the prime minister catching a bullet, when you start talking about how we're all indigenous or his other comments about First Nations culture in Canada... Like, I hope it's a wake-up call. He's clearly on the internet all day long when he's not in prison or jail. Sorry. Yeah. Um, do you think he ever sees those montages of himself? And what does he think? Like, does he think like I mean, there's own a words. fucking idiot? If or somebody does he, shows like, actually, me, does he is he like awesome? This is my highlight. I right? don't know. I feel like yeah. I mean, I mean, he said them. It's his words. If somebody showed me a montage of my own words over the course of my career, I think it'd be pretty difficult to say that's not me, mm-hmm. right? There's the highs and the lows. Mm-hmm. As they'd say in the Big Lebowski, strikes and gutters, man. This fight for freedom. Uh, I saw a tweet from Trent Capelli today. He says, uh, you know, Joe Rogan said that called Canada communist the other day, said yeah. that Trudeau, the dictator's got to go. I, I hate saying it, but I listen. I listen to like Rogan 
maybe like twice a week just to hear a lot of people listen to him ridiculous things being said right but he does have occasional really guests i want to i'm yeah. interested in but he's just he's kind of off the deep end right now so trent capelli is responding to this he says uh, just lounging here in communist canada where weed is legal same-sex marriage is legal freedom of religion is guaranteed universal health care is available to all and abortion is legal that from trent capelli with a reality check yeah i love how Kurt made the uh, just kind of aligned everything for people how like th- this whole movement got more fire more steam from people just being at home and being on the internet throughout the pandemic like people just T.S. chiming in live we sure appreciate our live audience says you know Jespo it's very much a community of belonging right a community of the disenfranchised and I think you're right Justin says we're not immune to the issues of the world and south of the border. We're just usually late to the party. Totally agree. Another says I used to listen to Rogan, but he's lost the plot completely. Oh, yeah. Like I remember back in the day he was. Oh, he used to make me laugh and smile. And well, yeah, he was a stand up. comedian. He was, he was just like he was the uh, as a buddy of mine would say, yeah. like in describing himself. He says, I, my buddy always says, I'm just a big, dumb animal. Yeah. And that's kind of Joe Rogan. Right. And I then all of a sudden he started talking about things like vaccines and covid. And then that's when people started. Shit, I he think, has no place talking about. I went and saw him like four years ago here in Edmonton with his comedy thing. He was making fun of vegans. I was laughing. It was yeah. like self-deprecating. I was like, oh, this is... and then. Yeah. Huh. Let's focus on something that makes us smile. What do you think? Oh, I think I know what you're going to... Do ya? <laughs> you want to prep the music bed for me, pal? You want to set the table? Every Tuesday, we focus on innovation. We focus on people or, or groups, organizations that are making a positive impact in their communities. It's the leading edge presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. And in this week's edition of The Leading Edge, we celebrate Wellspring Edmonton. An organization right here in our neck of the woods, in our home city, offering a warm and welcoming environment where anybody affected by cancer can find the supports they need. Non-medical support services, including emotional, practical, physical, or spiritual services. Workshops, classes, individual support services offered to program participants at no charge. And they can be accessed by those with cancer and their caregivers. Wellspring works collaboratively with health and community partners to ensure that nobody has to face cancer alone. Recently, two member groups within Wellspring created these beautiful art pieces that were installed in the Cross Cancer Institute's healing garden, creating an opportunity and a venue for people dealing with the emotional and, of course, physical stress of a battle against cancer to find solace and an opportunity to reflect. Wellspring Edmonton is Leading Edge Physiotherapy's Charity of the Month for the month of July, and that's why they are on The Leading Edge. The Leading Edge is presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. We're looking forward to conversations to come uh, this week. And did I tell you, did I mention to you that we did confirm Craig Spicer is going to join us on Thursday? I'm really excited about this. Craig is a friend of mine. Uh, We play in a charity hockey tournament together every single year. He's the superintendent uh, at a golf course called Legends. Mm -hmm. And he has just 
He's not yet back. He's in transit right now. But this guy had an opportunity, uh, using his experience, his expertise as a superintendent of the golf course, to head over to the old course at St. Andrews. And he was running mowers, and he was working on the grounds crew at the British Open. How cool is that? That's pretty awesome. And so we're not a sports show per se, but this isn't about sports. This is about a guy, and I'm excited. Like, we want to feature real talkers and their real-life stories. We tell you this all the time. So he's going to join us on Thursday to talk about his experience at what is literally the home of the birthplace of golf. And I'm super excited about that. Uh, We're also going to have an opportunity a little bit later on this week to talk to a journalist who's uncovered a story that's 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 quite shocking, as a matter of fact. And uh, this is uh, a story that I think that more people need to be paying attention to. Jeff Dembicki has just released a story about counterpoint strategies, and you can read it on the Taiyi. It has to do with Alberta's war room. You know, this war room that was supposed to be defending the interests of Canadian and in particular Alberta's oil and gas sector, but oftentimes was targeting journalists and maybe using public tax dollars in ways that most people wouldn't support if they knew how the money was being spent. But of course, the whole thing was set up in a structure that it couldn't be foiped. There couldn't be freedom of information requests. So nobody knew where the millions of dollars were being spent. Well, Jeff Dumbecki's done some unbelievable reporting on that, and he'll be joining us on Thursday. But I encourage you to check out his reporting at the TIE in the meantime. Then we'll go behind the scenes with him. We can't do these interviews, and quite frankly, we can't do this show without our partners that have our backs. They support Real talk, and that includes the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. There are six new reasons to crave DQ, and those are the new signature stack burgers. Now, I've been telling you about the signature steakhouse stacker. That's the bacon and cheese beauty with the onion rings on top. But I also want to remind those of you that like to get a little bit spicy. You don't care that it's 30 degrees out. You don't mind a little heat. I recommend the Flamethrower Signature Stack Burger. It's one of the best as far as I'm concerned, and you can pick them up today at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and in Sherwood Park at Baseline Road. Our friends at Local Environmental want to remind you that Trash Talk's coming up on Friday. They present it every single week, an opportunity to get whatever you need off your chest. We have a hilarious one about dishwashers coming up on Friday. If you need to get something off your chest, you can send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Just make sure that you label it clearly as trash talk. You know, at Local Environmental, they offer full-service, flexible, rural waste management options, including recycling in many areas. The best part? Residents can choose from weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly rural collection schedules. They've got it all at localenvironmental.ca. And I've been telling you how much I've been enjoying the Dodge Ram 1500 that I've been driving. It's the Longhorn trim. This is a nice sort of a Western vibe, beautiful leather seats, all the step down side you need, tons of room inside the crew cab, and of course all the power you need to pull your boat, to pull your trailer. You won't find a better selection of Ram trucks than you will at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. But if you don't need the big Hemi, if you're not pulling a fifth wheel, they've got a ton of great options as well on the fuel efficient side. If the price of fuel is getting you down and you're looking to make a change, why not trade your vehicle in at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge and then keep that relationship going on the sales and service side. 
I'm proud to partner with them. Have done for more than 10 years through that ownership group because I appreciate the service I get. It's why I recommend St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge to my friends. Coming up on tomorrow's show, as mentioned, we'll continue our coverage of the Pope's visit to Alberta. Treaty 6 territory, we'll see an apology in person. We'll find out how the Confederacy of Treaty 6 First Nations Grand Chief George Arkan Jr. is preparing for that visit. Where's his head at? Plus, journalist Brandy Morin's covering it all. She was there at the Vatican for the apology then. She'll bring us up to speed with her amazing perspective. All of that on Wednesday, right here on Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Shivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Derlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.